What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome to a Wednesday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Now joined by my dad, now in another state, first time we've ever uh, not been in the same state, uh, living-wise. Dad, how are you? I'm well. How are you, son? I'm good. I am good. It is raining, as we were talking about, like it does every day in Knoxville. Finding some uh, r- good running areas. It's uh, getting in the groove, did orientation yesterday, but... Uh, yeah, um, it's still very hot. Well, I think that's going to keep going for another month, and then it'll it'll really start to to drop after that. So I it'll be okay. You got another, yeah, it'll it'll start to cool down, and then you actually get snow up there. So you'll get all four seasons. We'll see. I uh, I don't know yet. I have not experienced it yet. So we'll. We'll see. Um, just fingers crossed for football at the moment. Because um, it is not looking good this week. Uh, we are going to talk about Atlanta United. Atlanta United obviously got bounced in embarrassing fashion in their bubble. Um, what, in your estimation, went wrong for Atlanta United once the playoffs started for them? I don't even think it was. I think you got to predate the... the uh being put in the bubble and even participating at all i mean atlanta united it was in a free fall because their first game back in i guess it was march um they did look good but you know you kind of think that over time teams kind of gel and you know you start to figure out because there's so many new players this year and they lost so much, you know, from a strength and knowledge and just awareness and everything else that they, uh, you thought that perhaps they would, they would gel by certainly this time in a normal season. However, that not being the case, you know, with the COVID, there, you see some other teams out there that are playing just fine. And Atlanta was just, a nightmare. They were just horrible to watch. What made them horrible? I think a combination of things. I I don't like their, I didn't like their um, 
um, defenses at all. Uh, I don't think Robinson's your center full. I think he's good, and I like him, but he's no LGP. And so I think that that lent itself to some problems. And if you look at their three losses, and there's maybe one more, all three goals were in the first 20 minutes. And that first goal, or in some cases the only goal, uh, just – showed that they weren't ready when they stepped on the field. They were just in disarray. They weren't playing together, and uh, midfield is extraordinarily weak. With Nagney being gone, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the guy's name? It's uh, 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 on the tip of my tongue. I'll think up here in just a second. Gressel? Uh, pardon me? Gressel? Well, Gressel, well, Gressel, obviously, uh, on the winger, and then uh, Miram. Mm. Um, you had no midfield. I mean, our midfield, we played on defense the whole time. I mean, our midfield was non-existent. You had, and then up front, you had Jan, who, or John, ever how you pronounce it. He, um, he just doesn't have the speed. I mean, he just doesn't. He's a huge guy, big guy, but he just doesn't have the speed. So, um you certainly, you really begin to wonder who is the mastermind behind disassembling this team because DeBoer had nothing. I don't know if it was DeBoer. I don't know if it's the management. I don't know that general manager. I don't really know. That's kind of the, I'm reserving judgment on DeBoer uh, until I can, you know, get a better sense as to who made these decisions. But you like Russell Gross, 24, young guy third in the league last year and uh, assists. I don't know how you can let that guy go. He wasn't ever injured, very durable, uh, smart player, and we let him go. We just let him walk. It was stupid. And then you have Nagby that moves on. Of course, you know, you're looking at their team now, and they're playing so much better with him on the team um, because of his his leadership and his skills and um uh, you're watching that guy, and, and it, it just it makes you sad that you're looking at how many players. And then, of course, with Joseph getting hurt, we have zero offense. Barco's not it. Uh, Pity's not it. It, it just it, we're just not good. We're just a bad team. And one of the announcers made the observation that when you used to play Atlanta, you really had to be prepared because we could score at any time. It, we were a very dynamic. Um, versatile team and we are clearly not we are the bottom of the barrel right now we are a bad team so it's uh it's going to be a long season sadly i i don't unless we come up with something i did read uh where they're going to get that player what's his name uh um the kid that's on the Atlanta United two team. Oh, the young dude from like England. Yeah. uh, That he might be able to play here in the latter part of this month in the uh, Atlanta United one. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens, but I definitely think you've got to make some significant changes. And then some of these players, I mean, some of the stupid stuff where we played a man down with uh, that idiot that had two yellow cards in the first, you know, 20 minutes, you put a man down and we're already bad. Uh, that was just selfish and stupid. And so it's, it's things like that, that you really begin to wonder what, what were they seeing that I'm not seeing? 
And I think everybody at home was probably thinking the same thing. What are we seeing here? Because what we're looking at is awful. And um, it, it never got any better. I mean, we were just bad. We were just bad. I think you're thinking of Eric Lopez, uh, the Atlanta United Lopez, two guy. Yeah, yeah so he's going to yeah, play immediately. Like yeah. Well, yeah, they're saying that uh, they think he, he, he signed for Atlanta United too, but what they're saying now is perhaps he'll play at the end of this month when you get out of this uh, tournament. So we'll see. Can't hurt. I mean, uh, uh, at this point, it can't hurt. Uh, Barco, I, I, I think the, the jury's still out on Barco, and I think Pity is, is overpriced. I think we got snookered on that deal. He's never... He just never developed into that player. So you now you're more forward. down on Pity than you were Barco, because you've always been harder on Barco than you have Pity. Well, I don't, I, Barco, I just, I don't, I, you know, he just doesn't have that killer instinct. He can dribble and he can get you close, but he doesn't have that killer instinct that Joseph has, which is he's going to rip it. He's going to, he's going to cut loose. And that's what you've got to have with somebody up there. With Pity, some of his games weren't bad. I mean, he, he, but, for what you're paying for the guy, I mean, I'm like, I don't know. I, I would take Almiron 10 out of 10 times. 10 out of 10. Over pity. I mean, I think they 10. would too, but they didn't have that choice. Yeah, I'm just saying. So that's one of those things where I'm looking at two different, two distinct differences. So um, it's just where it's a different team, a different mindset. I, the defense, you know, uh, Rometty, he looks great. Um, let's see. Hassan, uh, you know, he's great. He does just fine. Um, uh, Heinemann, I like him a lot. I think he does just fine. Uh, but there's, there's, there's some gaps. I mean, there's people that you're looking at this thing and you're going. Um, well, there are I don't know what I really too. Um, there's a Colombian international player, Sebastian Perez, that uh, is a defensive-minded guy. It seems like they're going more towards defensive-minded mindset as a team. You really, in my opinion, they really need to look at um, a center full. You know, I would put in the I'd put in the enforcer. Quite frankly, I'd run him till he can't ride anymore. But I think that he's. He's the guy that you got to have somebody who's got some sense back there that that knows what's going on. Um, he's, you know, he's been around a long time, and uh, um, I, that would be, I guess, kind of my thoughts. Or you got to you got to really do some homework back here because we're not. I I just don't think we're we're very good right now, and. Uh, so I think you're going to have to look. Uh, Lorenowitz, um, I would run him uh, as either the top of the four or the center full and because he's got some sense about the defense alignment. And I'd run Robinson back over to the right side where he was and let him get some more experience uh, just sitting back there. Um, the back line was so-so. Uh, Bello. I don't know. I don't know what to think about him. Sometimes I like him. Sometimes he frustrates me. He's out of position. In fact, one of the goals was clearly he was out of position and he didn't hustle back. So that's like, 
you know, uh, the, the being out of position happens, not hustling back should never happen. So, uh, I would, I would be going after him on that. So, I mean, that's, that's things that you can't have, but, um, and we don't, I mean, that, that front where you change people out, right? So if we go to subs, what are we subbing for? I mean, uh, uh, I don't, I, I don't know that we can sub one or the other and either is better than the other. I just, I don't think, um, we have really anybody. I mean, I'm just looking at players. What was it? This guy's name Williams. Mm. The guy that was up front. Uh, he was very average, big guy, huge. I mean, he's a big guy. I mean, he is a big man, but again, just, I don't know. So are you a John guy? Do you think him and Joseph are the right people up top? I don't think so. I don't think he's the guy either. He's a huge guy. So that's more like that European style player where you have a guy that just kind of sits over there and he's, he's such a big force. I mean, particularly as uh, you get corner kicks and things like that, where you have a big guy that you're trying to mark up on him and he's, you know, six, three and you're five, eight, you got a long ways to go there to, to get to him. So, and plus just sheer mass. So I understand some of the logic. We just don't have that other thing, right? So in football, they, what is it? Uh, Thunder and lightning, right? Where you have the, the two that play off of each other. And, um, you know, where Joseph is a little shorter, um, quicker. Uh, and Joseph, I mean, and uh, Jan is uh, uh, taller and, and a bigger, a thicker uh, centerpiece. So they kind of complement one another. I don't know who our complementary piece is with him. Uh, I, I don't see it. So I think first off, you've got to figure out how to stop scoring goals. And I mean, not stop, stop opposing teams from scoring goals. And I think it's got to start with an alignment. I mean, I don't know if you're going to run a, you know, gosh, they're running a three, five, two, right? Uh, generally, yeah. So, well, that's that's the other thing. They're not making any changes or adjustments. So, you know, I think perhaps you run a four one three two. No, four four two or something like that. I mean, you know, five five three five three two. You know, you want. I mean, I want them to squat down. You've got to figure out how you're going to, you know, stop these guys from taking all these shots. And I mean, if that means that their defense is going to pull up, then you've got to have a speed merchant up there to just float the ball over their line and let it and make it a foot race. I mean, I, that's what I would do. I would just sit there and float it over the line and make them chase me down. Because once you break the box, you know, you can maybe potentially get that PK that you're looking for, but um, you've got to do something to, to stop the, I mean, the first goals in the first 20 minutes are ridiculous. The stupid, fouls you know i know it's 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 a different world from when i used to play but you know you got more floppers than you ever had when i was coming along but still you've got to have somebody out there that's that's going to be the enforcer but understands and that's what i really like of lorena Woods. i realize he's older i get it but i'm looking at a team that's that really needs 
desperately needs um, some maturity on the field. Hmm. So I would look at I would look at somebody like that, um, and then see what happens. Well, the uh, the the hotshot manager River Plade. I don't know how to say this. I I, I don't care. Soccer people at me. I don't I don't care. Um, their biggest target um, actually has a relationship with Pity. Um, he's forty four. He's coached there. He's won um, Uruguayan Premier Division. He's won the Copa Argentina three times. So like the biggest draw there is that ATL United has just a bunch of Argentinian players. And um, he has a relationship with a lot of them, uh, Marcelo Colorado. And he um, played in MLS a little bit back in 2008 with DC United. Um, but he's been at his current job for six years. But he plays both a 3-5-2 and a 4-1-3-2. And that would give them an opportunity to play Pity, Barco, Rosetto, and then the right behind Joseph and John. Um, that might be a good thing. But... Um, he does have a relationship with pity and like, that's the reason he got his current job was, uh, he brought pity to river plate and, um, they won titles there and he pity was South American player of the year there together. So maybe that's what gets pity on track is going after, um, somebody like him because Joseph will be fine, but you, you really got to start maximizing Barca Martinez, whoever the next manager is. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of, of, and again, Barco is one of those guys that it seems like the coach is sour on him. So there's something there because Tata did as well. So Tata sat him down. And it could have been some off-field stuff, but I think there's probably some on-field stuff too. So uh, I think there's something not 100% about that guy. I mean, it's just uh, – I don't know what exactly what it is, but he seems to have some issues. Whereas um, – What's the what's the other guy's name? That's the uh, uh, Heinemann. You know, you, I'm looking for guys more like that. I mean, Heinemann, he's he's ripping the ball outside the box. I mean, he just I want somebody that'll just pop it every now and then, let it go, hit it, and move on, and and see what happens. So, uh, um, I like him a lot. I think he's that kind of guy. Um, the Mo Adams, I don't know much about him. I, I don't know what to think about him either. Uh, he's a little guy, if I remember correctly. So that shorter midfield, that's okay if you're short and you're super fast. I don't know. I didn't see anything that jumped off the page at me. So that's kind of the other thing. I think uh, – I'm trying to think of the other guy. I feel like there's one other guy that, that just – you know, you you kind of look at these people and you're going, I'm not, I'm not understanding what the plan was. What was the, um, you know, what was your strategy for having this guy here? I mean, what was, what was the big, uh, the big plan? And I'm not sure that I know what that is. I mean, I, 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 trading all those players, allowing players to walk, not, trying to protect, you know, your team, which you had a really good team. And you can always, I mean, part of sports, right, professional sports, is there's going to be change. Right? They're going to go to who's going to pay them the most and where they feel the most comfortable and given the most opportunity to, to play. And I get all that. But you can't have that many people, a wholesale exodus. I mean, that's, 
That was a, just a disaster. So again, this gets back to my original point. I can't tell you that if that was uh, Demore or uh, or if it was uh, or if it was the man, the, you know, the uh, general manager. I, I just don't know. It, it's one or the other. So it it's it's bad, and so you have to really take stock and who you have sitting in the room with you going. You know, we took a team that was one game out of playing for the championship again last year and um we could and we won it the year before so you know atlanta united was very poised last year and they had a good season to be able to to play again an unfortunate set of circumstances but you take those you know look at those let's look at three years right you've got you know, top tier, top tier, and seller to welder. What happened? I mean, you have to. And so is this a, if we were to look at, you know, traditional NFL football, is this a Gruden thing, right? When he was at Tampa Bay, when he took over for Tampa Bay, uh, they win the Super Bowl, he gets the accolades. Was it was it really his team or was it, uh Dungeons. Uh, Dungeons. You know, which was it? It's kind of one of those things. So you don't know. I mean, there's uh, sometimes things happen uh, along those lines. So it's a, it'll be interesting to see if we see a dramatic change. But you, you, I don't know that whoever you bring in right now, your position to, to move forward. I'm looking at a bunch of odd pieces. It's like, you know, you go in my workshop, right? I've got those jars full of mystery bolts and screws and nuts. And it's just in a jar because they're not all pulled out and put away as, you know, these are all five sixteen two inch uh, screws. This is just a collage of pieces and parts and washers and screws and rusted and some are nails and it's just in a jar. Well, that's what our team is. Our team is that jar of bits and pieces and parts that just, you know, you're, it's going, somebody's going to have to dump that thing out on the table in the workshop and just start, okay, these are all the screws, these are all the nails, these are all the washers, and, you know, figure out what you have. But looking at this, um, I'm not optimistic at this point. I mean, watching them play three awful games – uh, in Orlando, um, you know, it's. I think people are gonna. If you, if you continue to watch this, you're gonna be thinking about you know the uh, frisbee golf tournament. Start watching that because it's got to be better than this. So it's so, not a quick fix. You don't think they're not no, contenders no, next not, year? Yeah, I think you're gonna have to do some wholesale uh, transitions. I mean, this is where you know Parkhurst with him leaving, retiring, it would have been helpful. I mean, to stabilize the defense. If nothing else, we don't score a goal. We don't necessarily lose because if we don't keep, if they don't score, then they don't win either. And so, you know, you need somebody that, that's got some sense. And I, I really, if I were, they'd say, you know, coach Bob, what do you, what would you do? I'd put Lorenowitz back there in center full. And, uh, 
see what let him run the defense for a little bit or and go call Parker say hey, look can you come back out are you in good enough shape to run a little bit so we can get this defense under control until we can figure out who's that longer term because that's what uh, LGP was he was young enough he was smart enough he was aggressive enough I mean all those things that you're looking for and you know I get it I get you know you want to move on go somewhere else and that's cool but that's what you're looking for. To me, that's the prototype of, of player that you need. So you've got to stabilize first. And Joseph will come back. Or is, is he going to be the same? I don't know. But I would definitely be – I think the guy's name was it Lopez. Is that right? Isn't that right? Yeah. The young kid. So we'll see how he does. Um, I think that perhaps, you know, if he's very, very aggressive up front, I'm all about it. Let him go. Let him rip it and, and see what happens. But – I think I would start with the defense and tactically figure out what defense you're going to run. Is it a, you know, a four, a five, a three? What are you going to run? Just figure it out and tell us so we can kind of get a sense for it and these players can can play as well. So long season, Ed. All right. Well, we got to run, but, Dad, this was great. I appreciate the time as always, and who knows, maybe they'll be better. Maybe, maybe. We, uh, we shall see. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate it, Dad, and uh, we will talk soon. Take care, son. All right. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Jonathan Taylor Thomas Talks Major League Baseball Edition. What a mouthful. John, good evening. How the are gag, you? The gag, the gag continues, I see. It, it will never end, unfortunately. It will, it will, never, never, it will never die. I've gathered. I've, I've gathered. <laughs> what else have you gathered in our years of podcasting about me, John? Um, that... A guarantee is at some point during this podcast, you will complain about something the Braves have done. <laughs> okay. Which, un- understandable and reasonable, because they have played pretty meh so far. And they're also now dying. down Mike Soroka, which is, uh, as the kids say, big trouble. I don't think the kids actually say that. but No, I don't think. I think you can win a, a World Series title with uh, exactly zero pitching, right? How dare you disrespect? Uh, I was going to say Julio Tehran, then I remembered now he's on the Angels now. Mm-hmm. That's going to take me a while. Sean Newcomb, Kyle so, Wright, Sean Newcomb. There you go. I mean, at least the nice thing for the Braves is like their pitching is at least the, the pitching they have is young. So like, while it may not be great, and while it may struggle, at least it's at least it's something different, and there's something semi exciting about it, as opposed to like. A staff where it's just a bunch of pitchers like, oh, I don't know, say the Red Sox. <laughs> but these guys are just bad. These guys are just bad and there's no upside. Like, at least you get to, like, at least, like, yeah, like, Tuki Toussaint and, and whatnot. They may not be ready. 
necessarily to be full-time major league starters, but at least there's upside there. But you know? at least what upside is there with Ryan Weber? <sighs> well, he's, he's a little, he's a little banged up, but regardless, I, mm. I imagine there's some Braves talk coming down the pike, but I also know there's, we could probably do like a six hour edition of this, of this show this week, given really how could. much stuff is going on in baseball. First place Marlins. Not to talk uh, about. The, the fluke of the schedule that is not having to play like a tenth of your schedule. Yeah, how does this even work? Because if we the, get to the end of the season, they don't make those games up, but they're like a top of the like. How does this even work? If they well, play like, seven games, made it very less. clear. Rob Manfred made it very clear and in, in a very snarky fashion that all he cares about is winning percentage. So mm. I think Major League Baseball has probably. At least, maybe, maybe under the uh, behind the scenes and, and not publicly accepted that not all of these teams are going to play sixty games. Yeah, because it's it's going to become impossible. There are going to be too many games to play in too short a period. Well, hold of time. on, triple headers. And that you're already saying no, no triple headers. Start at ten a.m. Get some six inning games in. Let's do some triple headers, man. Who says? I mean, no? you might as well because honestly, this this season is meaningless and illegitimate, <laughs> but. And that's the thing, like you kind of, this is, this is the, the place that MLB has found itself where it's now you either need to play a season safely or you need to toss, but to do so, or better said, if you're going to play a safe season, it's not going to be a legitimate season, mm-hmm. you know, because the truth of it is, and I, and I imagine that this is, you know, you know this is the big story base right now is what happened with the Marlins and what happened with the Cardinals and the outbreaks they had. And while it's not immediately clear, at least it hasn't been made clear by the league, how much of that was. Um, maybe a flaw in the protocols that kind of allowed, you know, that where it's just one person bringing it in and the protocols just didn't catch it through the, because there wasn't enough testing or the turnaround time for testing wasn't fast enough or the contract tracing protocol wasn't followed. Or if this is something where it's like a bunch of players on the Marlins and or Cardinals, you know, did something like go to a bar and then, you know, that's not, so, that's not so much a failure of the protocols. This guy's not taking it seriously enough. Right. Or in my mind, it's probably more likely a combination of well, the two. Well, as Derek Jeter said um, in that really awkward, stern press conference he did. Is, is that what he, I remember? He, all, I, all I recall of him saying from that is that is that whole kind of insane bit that based on the Philadelphia Inquirer rumor that the players have been the ones, yes. Marlins players have been the ones to say they were going to play their game. Right. And he was like, no, it wasn't the players. This was everyone's decision, which to me sounded almost worse because it's like, well, it was not, it was never good if you, if you just left it up to the players, you right. know, that should not happen. The players are not epidemiologists and given the opportunity, they will always choose to play. But if you're saying the league and the team, like the higher ups on the team and and whoever in the league was involved in making this decision, saw four positive tests or whatever it was and decided, no, it's still safe. That's almost worse, you know, because they're the ones, especially the league, they're the ones who should who need to have the who need to have who do have the authority to shut this down and shut teams down to prevent things from getting to a point where now with the Marlins, you have literally half the team turned over because they had to put like 15 guys on the injured list due to, due to coronavirus, and they're now fielding a roster that's basically just waiver water scrap heap. So, and, and that's the thing, like that, that is the safe way to do it, or, or at least theoretically the safe way to do it is if there is something like an outbreak on a team, you stop, you know, you stop play, you quarantine, you contact trace, you isolate, you do all this stuff, and that team basically has to be shut down for, you know, X number of days. Just, I suppose it depends on the number of positive cases. 
but they're obviously that as you know, we're both as we both noted, that really screws with the schedule and with legitimacy, you know, because you're gonna have one team that ends up playing fifty four games and one team that ends up playing fifty nine or, or something like that, you know? And I I imagine there's probably the goal, the ideal from MLB would be for teams like the Marlins and the Cardinals to make all these games up. But how are you going to do that without screwing with everyone else's schedule? And then, it's, I mean, you've already seen that the ripple effect that this has had on already the Orioles, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Tigers, you know, all these teams that are supposed to have been playing the Marlins and the Cardinals, but who, because of, you know, because of the outbreak on those two teams, they had to have their whole, their whole schedule screwed up. Like well, even right now, like them. it worked out for some of them. I mean, it's, it's just the weirdness too of like, and I know this, for example, not not a great example, but you know, in part because of the weather, but this Yankees Philly series, they played one game in New York and they had to cancel Tuesday's game because of uh, the tropical storm that came through hurricane, tropical storm, whatever it was. Um, and then had to play two, they've had to play three games in Philly, a doubleheader, a seven inning doubleheader today and a game tomorrow. I think actually two more games after that. In a series that was already had to be rescheduled because the Yankees were supposed to be the team that was going to go to Philly after the Marlins had been there, and of course they had to you know, change all that. And so again, this is just it just it is dominoes that keep toppling one after the other because you know, I mean, an outbreak literally is not really a containable thing. It just it creates this ripple effect that ha- that keeps you know screwing with the schedules of, of other teams who aren't who, who haven't had any cases or who haven't had the same outbreak. So that of course is its own problem. MLB now needs to kind of, you know, is probably waiting with bated breath to see if what happened with St. Louis and Miami is, you know, just a a bad situation that they kind of lost control of, or if it's something that's going to play out again, depending on what the, on what protocols were followed and how how protocol has been followed. But yeah, I mean, it's this is already its own excellent problem for MLB, and that's without, you know, and that's just with two teams. All it took was two teams having this issue to throw this to throw the schedule into chaos and you kind of wonder how much MLB can survive in terms of if this happens again you know and they and they for whatever reason also don't get control of it so not a not a great start really for the old major league baseball in terms of dealing with the coronavirus it doesn't help that MLS and NBA have been fine and that the bubble clearly was a better option well i mean they the bubble was a better option, and as far as I think anyone can tell, given the way this country has handled hey, coronavirus, sure. which is to say, you know, he's doing his thing. You know, the way the country has handled coronavirus, which is to say terribly, um, I, I th- it's well, you can't do that. You can't do that, John. Do John, you can't do that. So here, when you look here, what, what, I was doing the bit of when he was saying you can't do that um, to the Axios guy. I was, oh, okay. I, was, uh, I like to keep things top look, topical on this podcast, John. I see. I, I see what you're doing. <laughs> but like, but like that's real. But this is the reality, though, isn't it? Is like the bubble would have been the only thing that really worked in this country, given how badly this country has handled this this whole situation. But at the same time, was a bubble ever a logistical reality for MLB to play an entire season or as much of a season as they? could you know involving 30 different teams considering that you know this isn't like the nba or, or mls or or the nhl or the nwsl or WNBA, where it's you know with those sports they can use a handful of courts or fields you know baseball can't just use the same baseball field over and over and over again well they could have done they need multiple fields well, so they could have done the grapefruit league and the arizona what is it called the cactus league couldn't they have just done that cactus league yeah 
They could have, but given where things are in Florida and Arizona, I'm not sure how well that would have worked. And the other thing is the owners and the players both decided they didn't want to do it. The players, because they yeah. didn't want to be apart from their families for that long. And they would have the owners, the because they didn't want to lose out. Right, like that's what they would have done. Yeah, and the owners would have lost everything. out on, on stadium sponsorship money. I think they would have canceled everything, but I also do think just logistically with the way baseball is organized and set up and you know how it functions, I don't think a bubble was ever going to work. I will say, I do think that a bubble could have worked if you had either done, if you did one of the two, either everything stays as is in terms of like, you know, maybe like with the season, but every team in its city, it basically exists in a bubble or is as close to a bubble as possible. You know, they only go to the stadium and they stay in a hotel and they interact as little as possible with the outside community. You know, unfortunately that has to include their families, either their families have to bubble with them or their families have to, or they have, they can't see their families for, for who knows how long, but you know, maybe you could do individual bubbles in each city for just the teams and the staff and the people who work at the stadium. But that's, you know, obviously also extremely logistically complicated or, and I, I really wish this is, this is why I wish MLB had been more out of the box with its own season plans instead of a regular season. You know, you just admit, hey, a regular season is invariably going to be just messed up because it's only going to be like, you know, we're only going to be able to get, you know, depending on when this conversation would have happened, you know, 80 to 100 or however many games. We're not going to get a full season. Yet. That's impossible. And there's so much travel and there's so many people involved in baseball, you know, and just in a, in, a, in a baseball season that a bubble is going to be really hard to do unless we switch the format of the season to being something closer to a WBC style or Champions League or World Cup style tournament in which everyone bubbles and what like basically as you know everyone bubbles in one location like they are doing with you know with the NBA and all the other leagues and it just becomes a kind of I, I don't know the particulars I don't have like details in my mind set up but like a round robin style elimination tournament you know where teams go home when they get knocked out and the whole thing just becomes basically the WBC but with but with major league teams and you do that over the course of an entire month or whatever, month, six weeks, however long it takes, however long you decide you want it to do, and that's your season. Because here's because here's the thing: like, is this would that that idea, would that tournament, whatever the result ends up being, be any less legitimate than what we're going to get this season? Hmm. I don't think it would. I don't. I, I mean, don't think so you could even say like, there's none of this. I don't think it would. And I know that like it probably would feel less legitimate to all the players involved because it's a complete. You know, it's totally different from the way baseball is normally played. You know, baseball can't suddenly just become soccer, basically, um, or even the NBA bubble. Which, of course, the NBA had it much easier because all they're basically doing in the bubble is doing the playoffs. I know they're playing, you know, some quote-unquote regular season games right now, but eventually, within the next what week or so, they'll start the playoffs. Yes, and you know, once that's the case, teams are going to be going home eventually. So they're going to be fewer and fewer people in the bubble, which is going to make it at least theoretically easier to avoid people within the bubble getting sick. So because there's just fewer, there's just less exposure, you know? So yeah, it, it would have been a big like change stylistically for baseball, but I do think that would have, if you'd wanted to do a bubble, that probably would have been the way to do it. I think it would have been fun as hell to have a tournament of some kind, but I also understand that if you were to, I don't know if MLB ever considered that idea, but I also do understand if you were to put that idea in front of MLB players, they probably would not have accepted it. And I don't, and I can't imagine teams would have accepted it either for, for, for what, for a variety of reasons, but I don't know. I mean, this is, 
the unfortunate reality for Major League Baseball is without a bubble, this is just the only other option. And it's pretty clear that it's not a safe option because of the because of the way the country has handled the coronavirus, just say the country hasn't handled coronavirus at all. Yeah. Well, it's just going away. It's going to go away. Um, that's what people are telling me. That's, so so says so says our fearless leader. It will just go away. These things just go away. Um, I just, I, it's so weird because the conversations get ugly, and now there's like divisiveness where like the people who are just like enjoy it while it's here, blah blah blah, and it's like yeah, I mean it, it it's just very hard. I'm kind of envious of people that can compartmentalize like that who can just go you know what baseball's here don't care blinders are on i'm watching this and then there are the other people that are like yeah "Eh, it's burning in miami it's burning in st louis i just i don't think this like we're how does this end i don't see how this ends positively i just don't but then you're like i feel guilty if you don't enjoy acuna one night like it's just it's all very strange it is that weird kind of you know, having to keep two ideas in your head at the same time, which is, you know, I was watching yesterday's A's Rangers game, which was Hazel Cesardo against Lance Lynn. That's a great pitching matchup, and Hazel Cesardo is a wonderful young pitcher, and watching him is very fun. And so I'm watching it, and I'm enjoying it, but of course, in the back of your mind the whole time, and at least for me in the back of my mind, for other folks, maybe it's totally front of mind, is like you're saying, is uh, everything's on fire right now. Is this really safe? Is this what we should be doing? Like, you know, does it, is it, ethically morally responsible for for there to be major league baseball during a pandemic if this is how it has to happen you know because we don't know like we're we're already seeing stuff like eddie eduardo rodriguez on the red sox he's out for the season because he got sick before the season started and as a result uh, of of the of contracting coronavirus he developed myocarditis myocardial i'm butchering that so i'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. look it up to make you know sure the I medical term that we all Myo- know, and know how to pronounce yeah, myocarditis uh myocarditis, which is a heart muscle inflammation that, you know, knocked him out for the season and could potentially have life-altering consequences for him. Um, you know, we all, we also, with Freddie Freeman's thing, which is, you know, he got so sick, he thought he was going to die, and thankfully at least, obviously it didn't happen, and thankfully it seems, doesn't seem like it's affected him beyond that, but, you know, this this has an impact, and it's just, I'm just talking about players, to say nothing about coaches, training staff, the people who work at ballparks, you know, the people covering these games, like these people are all being put at, ex- at risk for exposure to a very contagious, very de- very dangerous illness that, you know, and even if it doesn't affect them, even if they're asymptomatic, they could pass it on to their friends and family, you know? It, and that's the thing, like you're just setting up this exposure chain, so to speak, just so we can have baseball. And it just doesn't feel right, does it? No, it doesn't. But what it does feel like, John, is that the New York Yankees might be the best team in baseball. What do you think? Seamless pivot right there. Thank you. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think it's probably a conversation as to them or the Dodgers. I think it's pretty clear those two best teams in baseball for a variety of reasons. Certainly the Yankees, you know, they, they the lineup just hits like crazy. The bullpen is great, even with Tommy Canely going down. You know, you have Garrett Cole. I think the one thing for them right now is what's the matter with James Paxton? You know, what is, you know, cause he's been hit up pretty hard in his last two starts. His velocity is not there. His mechanics look just really messed up. You know, is this, is this an injury or some complication of the back injury he suffered last season that he had surgery for in the off season that was going to keep him out till May, if this had been a normal season, is this a new injury? Is this just, 
you know, a mechanical, is, does he just need a mechanical fix? I mean, that's a big question for them because, you know, that rotation is fine. It's Cole, well, even without him, Cole, Tanaka, Montgomery is pretty good one, two, three. But as you saw, the Jay Hap got hit pretty hard against the Phillies and is really at this point really no better than a fifth starter. Um, you know, your kind of best case scenario with Jay Hap is five innings and like two runs. Um, and the depth beyond them is there's some good options. I mean, there's, you know, Clark Schmidt's a nice young pitcher. Mike King uh, looked pretty good in his, in his one, I think he's only pitched once this season in relief. Um, Lysica started today's second game against the Phillies and looked pretty good. You know, there's some, there are some options there, but certainly the Yankees are better off with a functional James Paxson than without. But even without that, and again, even with, with Tommy Camley getting hurt, and Tommy Camley's a, a fantastic reliever who'd be, you know, an ace setup man for like 29 other teams in baseball. You know, I think they're still very deep, very talented. That lineup, obviously, with Judge and Stanton hitting the way they're hitting is close to unstoppable, you know, and that's with Glaber Torres slumping. You know, he gets he gets into form, you know, look out. And it obviously helps, too, that they get to play, you know, the Orioles and the Red Sox were god-awful this season. Um, so it's a lot of, that's, it's a lot of games against bad competition. Um, yeah, it's, they're, they're in a good spot. And it also of course helps that of the two other American league teams that we all kind of expected would be, you know, were there with them, the twins and the Astros, the Astros clearly are not, they're struggling because they just don't have the pitching right now because because of Verlander's injury because everyone in their bullpen got hurt. You know, they, they've already had, I think like six or seven guys make their major league debut this year as pitchers which is crazy. You know, their, their whole bullpen is nothing but rookies right now. And that's a huge problem. Minnesota looks great too, but eh, you know, twins, Yankees all. I'm starting to doubt my, uh, my twins skepticism. It's time for me to go ahead and say, I'm, I'm I'm concerned. I I overthought the twins. I think that's terrific. That team, they could just hit so much. Uh, Obviously they get to play a really bad division aside from Cleveland and occasionally Chicago. Um, I think the thing for them, like the Yankees, is, is there are some rotation questions. Jose Barrios has looked okay, but not great. Um, Randy Dobnak's looked nice. I know he's pitching tonight against uh, Pittsburgh. I haven't seen how he's doing, but um, you know, but but uh, the Twins have a lot of things going for them, and I think they're pretty clearly the number two team in the AL right now. And then probably after that is some some grouping of Cleveland, Oakland. Maybe Houston. I think Tampa Bay is better than what they've shown, although they have not played well. Um, if you bring up the first, if you bring up the Orioles as contenders, I'm hanging up. Um, but yeah, it's it's been actually Dobnak. Uh, Dobnak seems like he pitched pretty well. Um, I, I definitely do agree with you. I think that I think the Yankees are at the very least the best team in the American League, and I think it's just a question of them or the Dodgers as being the best team overall. Well, you you love their new pitcher, the redheaded sensation, Mr. May. Dustin May with the 99-mile-an-hour two-seamer and 95-mile-an-hour cutter. It's like something out of a video game. The Dodgers needed that, though. I think this was something they needed um, in their back pocket. I, I'm, I'm glad yeah, something went right there. Yeah, you can. that's definitely a team that, you know, that when you always wonder with the Dodgers, when are they going to catch a break? When are they finally <laughs> right. going to get you know, some good young players and right there, you know, good for them. You love to see it. (laughs) Well, he'll pair well with, uh, their, their veterans who they have locked up. Like, um, uh, what is his name? Uh, Mookie Betts. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, but that's the thing. But that's that's why when you talk about you know the best team in baseball, is, I mean, one team in baseball has literally Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's nuts. That just think that is nuts. That is nuts. That, that is a reality. Two of the ten best guys in baseball, two of the five best players in baseball, are on one team. And I know that this wow, is you know in the NBA that makes. In the NBA, that makes a super team, you know? In mm. baseball, it just means you're really good. But certainly, I mean, that's, that's the thing with the Dodgers. They just have talent everywhere. That lineup is stacked, too. And then they got Kershaw and Bueller and Dustin May. And, you know, and then their bullpen is good. Like, there's that's a team where you kind of look at them and you, you squint. You can see, like, okay, there, there's some things that are a little shaky here. You know, the back of the rotation is not great. You know, they could maybe use one more good reliever. Um, you know, I, I don't really think there are any real issues offensively right now. But, you know, either way, like, that's, you know, that's, uh, that I think is, that, that I think is what gives the Dodgers that, that argument is the best team in baseball because you look at them, there's talent everywhere. Like, forget, I want to say forget the results to a certain degree, but it's also like in a 60 game season, like, we're already, what, two weeks in? That matter, well, everything that's happened already matters a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you got off to a slow start this season, you're you're probably already out of the playoff picture. Yeah, every loss right. is like a three day a three game sweep. Yeah, every every game counts for two point seven mm. in the course of a regular season. So, so that's kind of the thing. It's like I, I the Dodgers' record is what actually I mean I don't even know I don't even know what any team's record is. I just have not been paying attention to that. Well, there's I some think because my brain right is now. still kind of in like yeah, there are some weird ones. I know the Tigers are not. Uh, awful. So that's the Rockies are eight and two but right like, now. How did that happen? I, I was going to ask you, John. We had them as the worst Rockies team in the NL. First place in that division. I didn't think. I didn't know if they were going to be worse than the Marlins. The mm. first place Miami Marlins. Yeah, I was going to say first but, place Miami Marlins. Yeah, actually, I, ha- I don't think I paid attention to the standings, if only because one, you know, I think in my brain it's still, oh, it's very early, even though it's not really that early anymore. We're about 15 ish per 15 ish percent of the way through the season. In some cases, I think 20% of the way through the season for some teams already, you know, this is the equivalent of being around end of April, beginning of May for some teams. That's a full month of the season already down, so to speak. But I think the other part of it too, is because of all these teams that were missing games, it's like, okay, well, the schedule, the standings are a little hard to figure out right now, you know, because there's just some real shenanigans and wackiness happening. Um, what would you guess we uh, Trevor Story's like WRC Plus is right now? Uh, it's either like 13 or like 225. 173. What would you guess? Okay, so I was figuring out. What would you guess Nolan Arenado's is right now? For the first place Rockies? Uh, 162. 89. Wow. And then okay. my favorite one thus far. You... My favorite one thus far. In 24 plate appearances, what is Matt Kemp's? Like 190. 155. MVP of the NL, yeah, Matt, Matt Kemp. Kemp. Matt Kemp is in it. I did, yeah, but I just looked inside. I did not realize that the Rockies were not only 8-2, and two, but they like have a positive run differential. They've scored. They've only given up 32 runs. They've given up. Marquez like, is great. They played two. They played two fewer games than the Giants, granted, but they've also given up 40 fewer runs. It's a lot. Right. Their pit- starting pitching is pitching well. Gray, Cincinnati, like Marquez, they're all pitching well. The, yeah, Marquez. Yeah. Kyle Freeland, too, because their well. bullpen has been a. 
Sweeties, their bullpen's been a problem too. I know Wade Davis is hurt. Scott Oberg is hurt. You know, Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez are nice pitchers, but it, I, what bullpen do they have beyond those guys? I think some of this, I just haven't really watched any Rockies baseball so far. Um, but yeah, that's, that's surprising. I did not know the Rockies were off to that good a start. Kudos to the Rockies. They've, they look good. I think a lot of that too is getting to play teams like the Giants and boy, the Diamondbacks really are not in a good position right now. Uh, yeah. They can't hit. Oh my goodness. They can't hit. That's a problem. Um, but yeah, it's looking at the, looking at the standings now. It's, it's just weird. Like you see Miami with five games and the Cubs with 11, you know, that's, yeah. this is all very weird. I think just trying to keep, trying to keep everything in mind about this season is just kind of hard because there's just so much weirdness going on. Well, let me ask you Rockies, Cubs, or Marlins, who stays atop the NL? Rockies, Cubs, or Marlins, what now? Like, who of those three, like, how many of them actually end up either A, making the playoffs, or B, staying atop their division? The Cubs are the only ones there I'd, I'd feel comfortable saying that about. Yeah. Um, the Cubs, despite the fact their bullpen is a trash fire. <laughs> uh, well, hey, guess who just won a World Series with a trash fire bullpen? The Washington Nationals. Uh, that's a good point. But, but it is still, even to me, like, just now looking at the Cubs baseball reference page and looking at their stats and, like, we're talking about guys with 40 some at bats. And my bra- I think my brain is just hardwired to look at it and go, well, it's too early to make any judgment. Yeah. Cause it is too early to make any judgments. We're talking about, you know, 40 some plate appearances for some of these guys, 30 in some cases, you know, that 30 plate appearances is a week's worth of baseball. And yet this is already like, you know, 10 games into the season. We're already, it's like almost a fifth of the way there in 12 games. In some cases, that's a fifth of the way there. This is already, this is the thing. Like these, these numbers may not be predictive or stabilized yet, but that doesn't matter because we're already so far into the season. So I'm not, to a certain degree, I'm almost not sure how you're supposed to to judge uh, uh, the stats right now because it's both too early, but also we're like, relatively speaking, a month in. These numbers mean something, even though we've been told for the longest time and with good reason that you really need to wait till the sample size is larger to say definitively, or at least to say with any, with any semblance of confidence, Oh, this player is good. This player is bad or, or something even along those lines. Like Javi Baez is hitting as a, as an OPS plus of 92. Chris Bryant has an OPS plus of 73, you know, the, like on the one hand, we're talking about each of those guys having done that with, over the course of, you know, 11 games in Baez's case, eight games in Bryant's. That's nothing. You know, any player in baseball can go through a slump that lasts eight, 10 games, produce that kind of numbers. But that's almost a fifth of the season. So that means something, but it also doesn't mean something. And I just like, which, which carries more weight? You know, the fact that we're a fifth of the way through the season or the fact that each of these guys has really only taken like at most, in, in some cases, 50 plate appearances. What, which, which kind of carries more weight? The results in the standings or the stats on the page? You know, which which do you kind of put more weight on at this point? Hmm. I don't know. Because like even even in the case of like the even in the case of like the Rockies, you know, yeah, they're eight and two. You look at their stats. Um, Daniel Murphy is hitting three forty five. Is that going to keep up? No. But we're again we're a fifth of the way through the season, so it's it is easier, I guess, to say theoretically that. And then it doesn't even necessarily matter if that's not going to keep up because that already represents a relative month's worth of baseball. He's already that, that's already helped the Rockies get to eight and two, and that doesn't take away from the fact that they're eight and two. Even if it's something where it's like, you know, 
Trevor's story having a 177 OPS plus is probably not something that can hold over a full season. That's a hot start. That's not that's not a new normal for him. Or Matt Kemp's hot start. Or, you know, or, or Kyle Freeland having ERA, or Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez having ERAs under two. You know, that that's not going to continue, but that's already baked into the pie, so to speak. That, that already makes a huge difference. Fish has heard someone outside and has decided this is an appropriate time for him to bark. It's all good, Fisher. The 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 the, uh, the mascot of the podcast. It's okay, Fisher. What's that, man? He's making he's making a, a notable guest appearance. <laughs> Noted big Rockies fan and supporter and believer. Yeah, Fisher the dog. He's he's, he's really really into the Rockies. But, <laughs> Rocktober uh, again, a lot kind of the thing. Was so he alive so, during Rocktober? Oh, God, Rocktober. He, I do not believe he was alive during Rocktober because that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, that was 2007, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that was it, was it those Rockies, the ones who went like 20-1 and one to finish the season yeah. and then like blitzed their way through the postseason until the Red Sox wiped them off the face of the earth? Yes, that was it. That was it. So... But like regardless, like with the Rockies, it's like, yeah, these numbers aren't going to stand. Matt Kemp isn't going to do this all season. Trevor Story isn't going to do this all season. Kyle Freeland isn't going to do this all season. But they've already got, again, relatively one or two of them well way into the season. And, but and that's like I guess that's the other thing. In a sixty game season, you know, it's way easier, so to speak, for those kinds of hot starts to continue for a long enough a period of time that it just it basically just ends up being a good season overall. You know. Which I guess the counterpoint to that is that the slump really quickly can change those numbers. Well, like, look, I mean, the Rockies, the Rockies started this season um, with. I'm just gonna. I'm, I'm using Fangraphs uh, postseason odds um, with the new with the with the new postseason format. They did. Uh, here we go. 2020 projections. The Rockies started the season with playoff odds of 28.5 percent. Their playoff odds now, thanks to that eight and two start are all the way up to 67%. They've Mm. upped their playoff odds by 40% just through 10 games of action. That's all it took. And, you know, maybe they they turn around the next 10 games, they go 2-8, and and that just basically undoes it. But again, they've already, even if these hot starts don't last, they've already improved their position so substantially. But again, I guess, like I said, that's the... The flip side of that is in a short season, all it takes is a 2-8 and stretch, and you're, you're on the outside looking in again. But... It's funny though. Even with the odds, the new playoff odds of sixty-seven percent, their division, their uh, division ch- chance to win the division are still only ten point five percent. You know, the Fangraphs still really likes the Dodgers, and with good reason. But I guess on the other side of those, you know, teams that get off the bad starts, um, the Red Sox postseason odds are thirty-two point six percent right now because they're off to a three and eight start. I believe those odds were. I'm going to go back to the in the preseason. Their odds were sixty-five percent at the start of the season. They mm. cut their playoff odds essentially in half. Who's your favorite Red Sox starter? Bad start. None of the above. (laughs) Can I just choose zero? Mm. Definitely Zach Godley. Love, love, love a Zach Godley. But what's worse, the Red Sox rotation or Manny Machado's facial hair? Manny Machado's facial hair. Ooh, how about this? Manny Machado's facial hair or Max Fried's mustache? I have not seen Max Reed's mustache, so well, I'll you are one of the lucky ones. After you know this, feel free to look that up. It's uh, it's not great. Okay, it's not great. But either way, it's, it, it is just kind of hard. It's hard to judge like who's for real and who isn't because one, it's still 
early, quote unquote, but it's also not early. You know, we're, as I've said a million times already, we're fifth of the way through the season. All these numbers matter. All these numbers mean something, even if this, even if the sample size is still relatively tiny. Yeah. Making sense of baseball in 2020 is going to be very difficult for a variety of reasons. Like you, you see all it takes is, you know, all it can take is one injury. Justin Verlander has an elbow strain that in normal times would probably knock him out for like four or five weeks. And you'd think, Oh, that's bad for the Astros. If they can survive that. Now that's a crushing, crushing injury. Yeah. Not just because, you know, they don't necessarily have the depth behind it, but because that represents like well over like almost two thirds of the remaining season. Same thing with, with the Rangers and Corey Kluber, you know, an injury that maybe would have knocked him out for two months of the regular season and been bad. Now he's gone. Now he's the best hope is if he comes back, it's as a reliever in the postseason. You know, that's, and, and then the other part of that too, is that we are seeing all these pitchers, like as, you know, as I mentioned with Soroka or since we started with Soroka, all these pitchers getting hurt, which is, I mean, granted a, a torn Achilles is a season ender, no matter how long the season is, but certainly it seems like way more pitchers are getting hurt. And I imagine part of that is because of the ramp up and how quick it had to be. Something I wonder is how stop start nature of teams having to get play suspended or having their schedule screwed with how the, the kind of having to ramp up and then, and then ramp back down and then ramp back up what that's going to do to pitchers in particular. It, it's just so weird to try to make sense of the season as it is, because this is so unlike anything that any of us have ever seen, you know, condensing a season down and playing it in this weird slapdash fashion you know, with these, it is also, which is again, part of why I kind of just wish I would be had said, screw it and done some kind of tournament, because if it's going to look weird and feel weird, it might as well be in a format that's interesting, not just baseball, but less of it, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Um, on a positive note, Luis Robert, Luis Robert, Luis Robert. We're going to go back and forth until the end of time. Luis Robert. Yeah, I'm never going to feel good, great about it. Um, hot start. People are already a little nervous. If you're a White Sox fan, you're feeling good. I think they're like a subtle winner right now. I think they're a playoff team. I think they're going to actually make it. A lot of good juju up there on the south side of Chicago. I mean, you definitely like what Robert's done, not just offensively, but also defensively. Too. He looks great in center field. He's been already a, a one-win player through through yeah. 11 games. That's that's crazy. That's really good. Um you know, he's played terrifically. You look at his stats, there's not really a whole lot that jumps out that you're kind of worried about. I think maybe, you know, five five walks and 49 player plate appearances is, um, it's not great. It's only a 10% walk rate, but it's not terrible either. And similarly, I mean, it's obviously all before tonight's games, not including tonight's stats. A uh, strikeout rate of 28% is not ideal, but you can live with that, especially when he hits the ball as hard as he does. So, I don't, I mean, Sealed the thing with bases. the White Sox is, and we had... And stealing some bases, too, four and four out of four so far. I think with the White Sox, we had said, or I think we had both kind of agreed that when we did their preview, that they were a team that really would benefit from an expanded playoffs yes. or an expanded postseason because they have two really good teams in front of them in the Twins and Indians. Um, and just that extra, and obviously the wildcard picture was going to be was going to be tight. You know, and obviously, and that has been, I mean, they're seven and four. If Angraf says their playoff odds is 85%. You know, uh, if they can if they just if they're just 500 throughout the season, they'll get into the playoffs. And I don't necessarily know how great I feel about them as a playoff team. I think they still have some significant problems, particularly pitching wise. And defensively, aside from guys like Robert, they're they're really not very good. Um, 
you know, I, I think their their pitching is especially going to struggle against teams like the Yankees, the Twins, which granted every pitching staff is going to struggle against those teams. But, you know, they're as you saw with that opening series against Minnesota, their pitching is it's not great. I mean, and they're already now down Reynaldo Lopez, who granted is not good. But, you know, they got Giolito, they got Keiko, that's well and good. It's just a matter of, you know, can those guys hold on and can they get a little more from the likes of, I mean, I don't know when Lopez will be back. I don't necessarily know if the White Sox are counting on him for really anything. And now Rodon is hurt too. But can they get that kind of leap from Dylan Cease? Can they get Gio Gonzalez to be, you know, something better than what he has been, which has been terrible so far? That's kind of the thing. Their rotation depth is pretty much non-existent um, behind Giolito and Keuchel and Cease. And, and, you know, Cease is a wild card and Keuchel, Keuchel's a five and fly guy at this point. Giolito is really the only one there you feel comfortable with on the mound. So I think that is going to be a problem for them. Maybe not so much over the course of the season, because again, all they got to do is, is, you know, basically get to 500 and they're fine. But in the postseason beyond that, you know, they're, they're going to, I think they would have some issues. But of course, you know, we got, we got, there's a lot of time before we got to figure that out. So. Yeah. I, um, I just think the biggest thing with their... I mean, I will say the, the one mm-hmm. thing they really do have going for them is they have four really good relievers right now, and Alex Colomay and Ross Detweiler and Evan Marshall and Aaron Bummer. So that's obviously helped them a lot. But sorry, yeah. you were saying. I think ultimately you get so nervous about these young prospects when they get called up and the hype around them, but the fact that Eloy Jimenez, um, Robert, and Mankata are all hitting and they're all great and I mean, they all look like they're going to become real franchise cornerstones like i think we undervalue sometimes how hard it is to get to connect on three young guys like this and i think the fact that they're all and they really play, and they really well have, great. you're right and really that whole white Sox lineup is hitting well tim anderson i know he's hurt but he was hitting well before he got hurt and doesn't feel like his injury is going to be a particularly long one jose Abreu looks functional really the only he's like the granddad of this of team now somehow and he's like 27 how old is jose Abreu? but he's treated like the old guy in the Abreu's, room 30, 31, I believe. Is he already 31? Um, I guess he's 33, actually. Okay. He's 33. He's only two days. He's actually two days older than I am. Cool. There you um, go. I think, you know, the one the, the one issue, maybe not the one issue, but Grandal's gone off to a bit of a slow start. Edwin Encarnacion has been, has been terrible. But other, but like you said, like they've got the young guys clicking, and that's the most important thing, not just for this season, but also going forward, you know, to give you that confidence that, um, and Madrigal, too, who looked good before he, before he got hurt. Um that, you know, whatever happens with this season, you know, wherever it ends up going with this weird bastardized compressed season, you can feel good that going into 2021, if you're a White Sox fan, you have that Mankata Jimenez Robert trio locked in, you know, that's your core. That's what you build off of. And you add to that Giolito and you add to that cease. And, you know, hopefully next year you add to that Michael Kopech and, you know, and next year you, and, and Madrigal as well. I'm, I'm, his injury may not be bad enough, to knock him out for the season. But, you know, if it does, regardless, like he'll be there next year. Um, and, you know, eventually you add Andrew Vaughn and eventually you, and it goes, and it goes on like this, because this is a good farm system. So having those guys get off to that start and having them, you know, put together that kind of performance so you could feel confidence, like, Hey, they're not perfect, but they're really good already. You know, that that's got to feel good. If you're a white Sox fan, after having seen so much meaningless and not just meaningless, but upside free baseball over the last few, over the last few years. Orioles, 500. We got to talk about them. Like a less than 5% fan graph chance of making the playoffs. But this is the only time we're going to be able to talk about the Orioles but before the bottom falls out. Do you have any Orioles takes? You are probably right on that. 
What, before the bottom falls um, out, what 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 positivity can we sprinkle in Baltimore? They can hit. They can really hit. This team is, has actually done well. I mean, granted, you look at their lineup, there's some real problems. Chris Davis is very clearly just finished. Um, that's a that's a problem. You know, the Austin Hayes, who's kind of a centerpiece for them, has gotten well. Hold on. What makes Stewart, you think is, that Chris Davis is finished? Is it his negative fourteen uh, diversity plus? Is it his negative point two WAR already? Uh, what it, what is it? It's not what you want. But like no? you know, Hanser Alberto, Renato Nunez, you know, Rio Ruiz. Weirdly, I mean, I think the issue with the Orioles is the guys who are doing this. You don't really feel confident that they're going to keep doing this. You know, if you really feel like Rio Ruiz. Is a, is a guy with a, you know, he's got a 211 OPS plus. You feel like that's going to carry over an entire season. Or Hanser Alberto with one uh, the 192 OPS plus. Or Jose Iglesias with a 273 <laughs> OPS plus. You know, that's obviously not going to carry over going forward. And I think especially, you know, if you're an Orioles fan, what's kind of a bummer is that, you know, it's guys like Iglesias and Alberto who are hitting well, but it's not guys like Austin Hayes or DJ Stewart or, you know, or Cedric Mullins, which... Cedric Mullins kind of the poor man's Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, the guys you kind of want to see hitting and you want to see performing because this season, again, like we're, I think everyone's in agreement this is not going to hold for the Orioles. They don't have the pitching to do this. Their pitching is atrocious beyond Alex Cobb, who I also well, hold on. will get traded. Tommy Malone, the FIP plus, or an ex-FIP, 2.65. Can't roll him out. Age 33 season, <laughs> really hitting his prime now. Running, running into some bad luck. I mean, granted, John Means is better. John Means is better than what he has pitched, um, and they've they've gotten a nice couple of nice little finds. Like Colt Solcer has been a nice find for them. Travis Lakins has pitched really well out of the bullpen. Um, there, there are some there are some guys in there who are who have been surprisingly useful. The problem is there aren't enough guys who are surprisingly useful, and the ones who have been of the ones who have been surprisingly useful. Again, you're talking about guys like Jose Iglesias and Hanser Alberto and Rio Ruiz and Renato Nunez keeping this up for the rest of the season, eh, it's not likely, you know? So the bottom is going to fall out. But I think if you're an Orioles fan, at the very least, they've been more entertaining this year. You know, there's, there's been a real spark. There's like, they swept the Rays. That's the last time they did. That was like 10 years ago. <laughs> there's an actual real spark of a fight yeah. in this team, which is really, it's nice to see. They're you like know, the Arkansas they are, of the AL very, East. Sure. In that, Arkansas, I imagine, is just kind of a well, they've lost absolute mess that nobody SEC takes seriously anymore, games. right? Well, okay. they yeah, they haven't won an okay, SEC well, game in almost 20 tries now, which is almost impossible to do. Yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, yeah, the, the bottom is going to fall off for the Orioles, and especially, too, if they reach the deadline and decide to move guys like Iglesias or Cobb or Alberto, take advantage of, you know, them being off. Because I, I can't see the Orioles deciding that uh, – Maybe Alberto maybe is a guy you kind of hang keep hanging on to, but I can't imagine them looking at um, at thirty year old Jose Iglesias off to the start and being like, "That's something we build around." No, that's something you take advantage. That's a lottery ticket you cash in. Same thing with Cobb. You know, thirty two year old Alex Cobb. If he keeps pitching well, you you run to find a team that takes on what's left of his salary and give will give you a couple prospects for him and i mean that's and that's the, that has to be the strategy for the orioles you can't you know obviously they're not going to convince uh, i don't think mike elias and everyone else in that team is, is is buying into the fact that the orioles are a contender it's just a matter of you know how long can the guys who are doing this keep it up and once once that stops obviously that is when the bottom falls out because really this again the team doesn't have the pitching to survive it's hitting slowing down 
Hmm. Yeah, well, I just wanted to give some positivity to the White Sox and Orioles fans. They've had a rough last couple. Yeah, of years, I mean, this look, is good. Good, good for them. Good for them. Good for like the Tigers who are who are off to a you know the five hundred. That's way better than I think any of us expected. Good. Yeah. I mean, it is that is one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's you know these teams are not going to hang on to this, but at the very least, they can put themselves, they can put a nice start together. The Marlins too, you know, and the Rockies, and that's worse. Something I suppose <laughs> it is. It probably is nice to see for those fans, especially like Orioles and Tigers and and Marlins fans, who've not been given any reason to feel good about anything over the last two years. To be like, hey, our team's actually playing well right now, and maybe that doesn't mean anything going forward. But at least, at least, it is more exciting, um, entertaining baseball than those fans have gotten for the last while. All right, I'm about to clear the lane. I'm going to do a high, uh, some high action, NBA action. I'm going to hand the ball off to you, and uh, you're going to clear out. You're going to ISO on uh, Joe Madden. Yep. This is all you. Oh, this is all you. I, fucking I am clearing, I'm clearing all this space it. for you. Go off, King. Go off. Fucking Joe Madden. I mean, I don't really know how much there's to go off about because all it really is is just he left Shohei Otani in a game to throw 42 pitches in a single inning with a surgically repaired elbow. And by the time that inning was over, Otani's velocity was down like 90 miles an hour. And now he's got a forearm strength that's going to keep him from pitching the entire year. Look, I don't know because I don't, based on his first start and based on the results of the second start, Otani clearly is not fully recovered or not fully recovered, but Tommy John is, is a long process for some people. It obviously everyone responds differently, whatever, you know, he clearly is not, he clearly was not, I should say, um, fully recovered, I think, from it. But which makes it all the worse then that Joe Madden is sitting there watching Otani labor through an inning where he cannot find the strike zone, where his velocity is slipping, where he's just needing pitch after pitch after pitch and just letting it happen. Does Joe Madden not understand that Otani is the second most important part of that entire team? Like, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't. How? How do you let that happen? How, if you're a manager, do you let that happen? How do you let things get so... Because this wasn't like Otani just, you know, got bombed because in like the span of 15 pitches, he went from cruising to all of a sudden he's got the bases loaded with nobody out. He let him throw 42 pitches. He let him walk six guys in two, in two innings. How, how, upon the first... There should be a rule. I, I, I can't imagine... I can't understand how this is not a rule for any major league manager that once a pitcher hits the 25 to 30 portion of pitches in an inning. That's it. doesn't matter what you're doing. That's got to be it. But especially, you would think, the Angels have some kind of protection for Otani where they've communicated to Joe Madden, don't let him throw 42 pitches in a single inning. That's negligence of the highest damn order. To me, if I'm an owner, that's a fireable offense because Otani's arm is so important going forward for this team. Based on pure stuff, obviously the results were not there this season for a variety of reasons, and we're not going to get to see him pitch again this year, which, because, hey, 2020, right? But, like, he's the most talented pitcher on that staff, bar none. You know? You, you can't put him in that kind of situation where he's risking further arm health, and then it turns out now he is hurt. And, I, of course, it's not we can't say for sure, oh, throwing 42 pitches in an inning is why he strained his forearm. Um, clearly something was wrong even even before that, but it certainly can't help. So I just I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand how a manager lets something like that happen to Shohei Otani. You want to, I mean, it's not fair, but you want to slag like Zach Godley's arm 
I mean, that's that's cruel and 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 wrong. But the, whatever, Zach Godley does not mean anything for the Red Sox going forward. If if Ron Redicky let his, lets him throw forty pitches in an inning, I mean, that's negligence too. But at least, it's not, but at least it's not something that's going to have a real impact on the future. You know, aside from Zach Godley's future, which is again why it's wrong. But to have your manager do that with again your second most important player, one of your cornerstone franchise players, I don't get. I don't understand that at all. I understand it insofar as it's Joe Madden, and Joe Madden is just Teflon at this point for some reason, despite the fact he does stupid shit like this on the regular. <laughs> but it's just that's exact, that can't happen. It just can't happen. And I don't understand how it did happen. I don't understand how the Angels let that happen. You know, it, it's ridiculous. It's insane to me. I love it. So that there was you go. Great. That, that, you feel better? That's my, that was my drive. I, a little bit, honestly, but that's the thing. Like this, I think this is just what you sign up for with Joe Madden. It's just decisions like these where you're just left going, "How the hell did you let that happen?" It's, it's almost like Joe Madden. Just like, they, the like Angels have really butchered the whole manager stuff, right? Like it's kind of crazy. We went from basically Socha to Madden. It's one maddening manager I mean, to not another. That, not that I, I didn't. Yeah, I, say, I didn't think much of Mike Sochi either, but it's like at least he doesn't seem to have a habit like Madden does of just falling asleep in the middle of games and just not <laughs> realizing what's going on. Because that does seem to be a thing. Like, I mean, if you ask Cubs fans, they're just like the way he manages bullpen sometimes, where he just let relievers just dig themselves into holes and then pile dirt on top of themselves. You know, that's why I was kind of surprised. Like, um, watching last night's Cubs game where they where David Ross tried to go to Joe to not to Joe Madden to Craig Kimbrell for the save situation, Kimbrell. You know, got an out, but also gave up a lot of loud contact. And he had second and third with one out at one point. And Ross came to that that you're done. He 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 had an early hook because he knew, hey, this guy's been struggling. I can't afford just to let him be out there and try to work his way through this because these games are too important. And I think that's the thing. Like sixty versus one hundred sixty-two games. This for a hundred sixty-two game season. I imagine Ross probably leaves Kimbrel out there because he's got to know going forward for the rest of the season how much can I trust Greg Kimbrel? How is he healthy? Is he you know, what, what is up with him? You know, I need to see him throw to, to get a better idea. But in a 60-game season where all these games count so much more, it's like, no, I got to manage this like the playoff, basically. I can't let this guy blow this game, you know, just to, just as a, you know, just because I need to give him like a, a confidence, not a confidence boost, but just because I need to stick with my veteran. That's what Joe Madden would have done. Joe Madden would have just stuck with Craig Campbell, let him blow that game. So... I think that's just a Madden thing, though. I think he's just weirdly, unusually, pointlessly slow about some of this stuff for whatever damn reasons he had, and he has in his kooky boomer head. <laughs> Snicker surprisingly not doing a lot of that. You know what I wrote down the other day? Like something that just got me mad um, all over again was just how stupid the putting Ender at the top of the order experiment was. Like before they flipped the script, we're like, you know what? What if we just kept Acuna at the top of the order and just had him and our best hitters hit the most? What if we moved Ander Inciarte down to the eighth spot? What if we did that? What if he got significantly less at bats instead of just trying this out over a, and over again? What a what a wild and crazy idea that is. That he's batting like uh, maybe eighty five right now. He's been atrocious. He was batting leadoff yeah, for the I mean, Braves that's the thing. like a year and a half ago. You definitely can't have a guy like Ender and Ciarte atop a lineup in the year 2020. That's just silly. Yeah, Snicker has he's he's made he's just such a likable guy. That's what drives me nuts. He's not a great manager. He's fine. Yeah, I like I like Brian Snicker. He's, he's fine. 
Like he, I mean, I would rather he's Ron one of those Washington old, manage he's one of those team. old school managers. Well, I was going to say Snickers, one of those old school guys you don't really see anymore. And the, the kind of mm. Ron Garden hire, Dusty Baker, yeah. uh, the dearly departed Ned Yost, kind of guys in that mold. You know, I think Charlie Montoya is probably the other guy in baseball because he came up, he came up that old way. You know, yeah. managing the minors a ton. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I haven't caught too much. They were of calling the Luis Rojas well, an, uh, a, a minor league lifer the other day, by the way, in the Mets Brave series, and I was like, the Braves broadcast, and I was like, they compared him to Snicker, and I was like, I don't think it's close. Luis Rojas is like, how old? What what is what is his age? I was like, eh. Maybe a little different. Yeah, he's thirty-eight. I must say, I don't actually. I don't. He's thirty-eight. He's only thirty-eight years old. Yeah, I knew he was uh, super young. I knew he was less than forty. I was like, he's super young. I don't know if you can compare. You can't call him a a guy a, a lifer like you can Snicker. I think that's a little bit different. I think Brian Snicker doing it for like well, I mean, I think eighty years. There's certainly an element of being a lifer insofar as, you know, Ross isn't just, I mean, obviously Snicker's got that different path where he's managed the minors forever, but a guy like Rojas has basically been in professional baseball since he was like 17 years old. You know, he's been, he's been doing this for 20 years now. So in that sense, yeah, he's a lifer. It's just, he's not a managerial lifer. He's not a guy like Snicker who coached in the minors for, for so long, you know, so yeah, I think, it, but yeah, it definitely is the weird idea of calling a thirty-eight-year-old man like a baseball lifer. Snicker is almost double him in age. He almost doubles him in age. Which is, I think, the other weird thing about guys like Snickers—you just don't see old dudes managing that much in the majors anymore. Yeah, that's rare at this point. He's just a happy to be there guy because he knows that his days are numbered, and like you said, like those kind of managers just don't really exist anymore. And he's just like, no, nah, I'm enjoying the ride. I know I'm going to get replaced by Brad Osmus in like a year and a half. But while I'm here, who cares? Maybe I'll win the title before they ship me out. I, I can't imagine there's any team that wants to take another ride on the Brad Osmus Express. <laughs> I mean, Gabe Kappa got another job. I, I I would not rule out Brad Osmus getting another job. Um, last thing we'll wrap up here. The best and worst early season storyline for you is what? Worst, I mean, probably all the. Is it weird to say the worst has been all the coronavirus stuff and just that the league is so thoroughly botched all Let's of that? Let's do on the field the and worst. It just looks horrible the entire time. Let's do okay. on the field worst. On the field, well, what, when you say worst storyline, what do you what do you got in mind? Like, okay, like, give me your example. What's like your, your worst on the field my example line? of like the worst storyline on the field um, is the fact that just all these pitchers are going down and. Okay. That is a bummer because of how much this is going to affect next year. I, like it is a bummer. Like Ben Lindbergh's piece on the ringer that I would encourage everybody to check out about this, um, kind of shines a light on what we have going on there. But it's terrifying because I don't think we're done. We 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 lost Soroka. Verlander obviously got hurt. Like I think we're going to lose more and more, and that really concerns me. Otani's now done. Like that has been the worst early season storyline to monitor. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm waiting for my phone to just beep up about Strasburg tear something, or I, I'm just terrified that this is just going to be a, a an I increasing think, trend. I, I think, yeah, I think I agree with you on that, that it's seeing these guys get hurt and just kind of knowing that in part is because of like, I imagine it is in part because of the ramp up and then the second spring training. And like, especially the idea of these guys are getting hurt for a season that, no one thinks matters, right it's you know? just not worth it you're just like ah what a waste it's not like, worth it yeah. none of the and that's the thing i think maybe that's the worst around overall so, you know even leaving aside the injuries the whole coronavirus aspect none of this is worth it 
I, I love watching baseball. I love seeing these guys play again. It makes me very happy to see them play, but it's also not fucking worth it. And I think that's the hard part. It's just, you know, these guys getting hurt for what exactly, you know? Yeah. So I think I would agree with you on that. In terms of best storyline, I don't know. I mean, Kyle Lewis, I, it's been really dingers seeing... striking out forty percent of the time. Of <laughs> hey, only thirty six and a half. Give him credit. <laughs> um, I think obviously what the Padres are doing, they've been really fun. I think you know that that's a team that has been a lot of fun to watch. That has done a lot of cool stuff so far. Jeez, um, what else? I think. Obviously, the young guys like watching like Luis Robert do his thing. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I think knowing if we get that far, the, that you know the upper echelon of teams, there's a lot of really good options there. The postseason, if we ever get there, is going to be a lot of fun. I think. Oh, I should. You know what? I should have said my worst 2019, my worst 2020 storyline is just literally the Red Sox. Just pressing, <laughs> pathetic team that is. I rolled right that now. out to you. I couldn't believe it's, you overthought it. I was like, I thought you were just going to say the Red Sox just existing in your life every day. Yeah, I mean, it feels weird to complain about that because as I've complained about it on Twitter. People point out, you know, it's like you've seen four World Series titles. In That's true. 16 years, like okay, fair. But on the other hand, boy, this team sucks. It <laughs> sucks. It's just not. They're not fun to watch. They're a total bummer. And what it makes me the saddest is, you know, you have guys like Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers and JD Martinez and Christian Vasquez having, you know, playing really well, and it's not going to matter for ship. They're wasting those years. And then you also wonder, it's like, okay, this pitching is so bad. Realistically speaking, none of these guys, except for Nathan, Nathan Yavaldi and whatever, maybe a guy like Darwin's and Hernandez, none of these guys are going to matter in 2021. So how the hell does this team plan on building a good pitching staff in an offseason? This isn't a situation where it's like with the Marlins, where you have a bunch of young pitchers where you're like, yeah, they might, be, they might struggle now, but they got to take their licks and eventually they're going to be better because they're all really talented. The Red Sox, like, you're getting your heads beaten in with Ryan Weber and Martin Perez. So what's the point, you know? There's there's really not very much to look forward to. Because the thing is, the team on the field is going to be bad. At the very least, if you're a fan, you're like, okay, maybe they're bad, but there's something to look forward to. What does there to look forward to with the 2021 Red Sox? Everyone, everyone is just a year older? I think they're going to do more you know, stuff there's, than there's you're not, I, I don't think this is going to continue. I, I, really I hope so. I, really, I mean, it almost feels like they have to. Right. Because where is the pitching going to come from otherwise? Yeah. They very clearly don't continue. have any within the system. And like Chris Sale coming back will ideally help. But again, coming off Tommy John, there's no guarantee. And Eddie Rodriguez now has a heart issue, which is who knows what effect that's going to have on his career going forward. And then even beyond that, like you've all fine, but what do you have beyond that that you can count on for next year that you've already seen so far? It's like, Hey, this guy might be a, a thing for next year. And I think realistically, that's probably only right now Darwin's and Hernandez, and he hasn't even pitched because he, he missed so much time due to because he's tested positive for COVID. So, yeah, I guess, Is I guess not my own, free agent after this year. You know, I do not want the Red Sox going anywhere near Masahiro Tanaka at all. He's a fine negative. pitcher; he's okay, but he's not the he's not the kind of guy you really want to. Can I interest you? A, in he's Cole a middle Hamels. rotation starter for uh, Tanaka's a middle rotation starter for a good team. It's exactly what he is right now. He's not really a guy you want to commit to. I think anything beyond. Oh my god, I know who. You're and saying. I also have to imagine. I know who it is. I I already know. It's Trevor oh Bauer. God. He was meant to be say, a Boston pitcher. No, he was meant to be no, a Boston no, no. starter. I mean, they're getting a, Trevor Bauer. That, that's a perfect collision of the universe. Actually, yeah. you want another good storyline I'm enjoying so far? It's uh, Cleveland's pitching. Speaking mm. of sort of kind of Bauer, you know, Clevenger 
uh, Zach Plesak, Shane Bieber, my goodness. Um, you know, a really, really good pitching staff there. Like, Cleveland really knows how to develop pitching. They do. Uh, too bad that that team can't hit at all, <laughs> which is going to be a really big problem for them. But, man, they like that's a team where it's like you, have, you do not want to see them in any kind of short series. To know that you have to go, you know, Bieber, Clevenger, um, and probably Plesak or... I guess who would the other who would the other option be there mm. in terms of in terms of like a, a game three starter? I mean, it doesn't matter. They're all they're all great, you know. I mean, I guess the other Carlos Carrasco. There we go. Um, I guess the other is that Brad Hand has been terrible, but regardless, like that's, that's really good pitching. That's not good Cleveland for them is either. Be an that was the team to keep an eye on. Was Hand not great that he's struggling? Yeah, this this hitting, I didn't realize it's this bad. Like, this is terrible. Carlos Santana, oh, they're is awful. he done? They're horrible. Is he cooked? I don't know. I mean, again, 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 this is kind of looping back to the start. Like, it's such a small sample size. It just doesn't feel like it's small because, again, we're already 20% of the way through the season. Framil Reyes, so your dude, say, by like, the hey, way, I'm, just atrocious. Your dude, he is... Uh, and I'm not willing to write I'm not willing to write off guys like Reyes or Santana after just plate you know, 50 though. plate appearances. But they really got to pick it up quick, you know. There is not really time to slump in a sixty-game season, so that that's going to be Cleveland's problem. Is they're all their games going to be two-one games, one way or the other? Yeah, which is not fun as a fan. Like the the opener of just the Soroka no. uh, Degrom battle back and forth when we were texting back and forth was just brutal. And I knew that's how the game was ending, just stupid. And then of course, like the person who beats the Braves on opening day is not even a Met anymore. He just leaves. He says bye. And we have oh, to do the that. Bets. Like oh <laughs> they're both the best. It's and, actually amazing we haven't talked about the Mets in this podcast so yet. Like let's wrap there. Just Cespedes just quits. They okay. put out a statement, conflicting statements as to what's happening with him and having everybody freak out and like can be concerned about his well being. And at that moment, he's like at Linux Mall by my old stomping grounds, like taking pictures. Like everything about that day, just so Metsy. Everything about the Mets. Everything about the Mets <laughs> is a. Everything with them is a goddamn travesty. There's they can't they can't be normal. Like and that's what I imagine like for a Mets fan, the most frustrating thing must be is your team is just never normal. Nothing that they do is normal. Every situation gets turned into a circus because there are never any adults in the room with the Mets. You know? The owners are stupid, petulant children. The GM is just very clearly in way too far over his head at this point. The manager is just a uh, no disrespect to Luis Rojas, a uh, baseball lifer, but <laughs> no, baseball lifer. very clearly not the guy they expected to be in charge of this team. I, it, it is so perfectly met that they had to fire their manager for a scandal that the Mets were not even involved in. You know, um, that's the thing. The, the, the way the assessment of situation played out, did, did it even surprise you? Once that all started, it didn't surprise me in the least. No, of course he was also bad. Like that was part of it too, like, is he was low key playing terrible. And yeah, he wasn't. wasn't he good. wasn't hitting well. Like, and and that's something we I think we talked about during the during the preview thing, asking you know the which Mets outfielder is going to get hurt first. And I think Cespedes is very clearly not a hundred percent in terms of running or being able to yeah. play a defensive position. But you know he could still run into a fastball or, or whatnot. And I think that would have been the case if the season had gone on. They would have just kept him at DH and he would have just run into fastballs every now and then. But regardless of regardless of Cespedes himself, who you know, I, I love you on a Cespedes. I, I hope he signs. I hope he gets signed somewhere in twenty twenty one. I'd like to see him come back and do his thing. But I don't think that happens. I think it's nothing about the way the Mets handled that 
we'll see. I mean, definitely, I think the way that all played out is not going to be something in his favor. Um, but He's then again, I mean, I, anymore, it just feels like, think. honestly, like... I don't know. The two years of not playing I, I and then this be, happening, I don't know. I, I have my doubts. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I think it's gonna take a team that's willing. It's gonna take a team that's just willing to just like try to capture lightning in a bottle with that. That's willing to kind of be um, to take on the and not even take on a risk. It's just it's gonna be kind of a, a the second a, half he's team a very much a right before their playoff run guy. where they have a big injury and they're just like or something. Screw it. I mean, yeah, because he's not getting a full season. But regardless, like none of none of the way the Mets handled that was surprising at all. The fact that they put out that statement without you know apparently knowing whether or not he was safe. The fact that there are now conflicting reports as to when the Mets knew that he was going to opt out. The fact that, excuse me, the fact that, you know, they tried to make it sound like this was over a, that Cespedes was angry about uh, a, a playing time bonus in his contract that more likely than not he would have met anyway, which makes me, which makes me think that the Mets just floated that without actually having any real evidence to back that up. Also the idea that Cespedes would forfeit, you know, $2 million plus in salary over the possibility of not making 700,000, which doesn't make any sense at all. You know, I, you just, the sense you just get is that Cespedes, like so many other players with this franchise, just kind of looked around and was like, I don't want to deal with this bullshit. Everything about this team is some stupid bullshit that I have to deal with. And I don't feel like dealing with it, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it doesn't think, can you really blame the guy, you know, running the risk of catching coronavirus and passing it on to friends or family all for the Mets? That's not worth it. The Mets are never worth it. And so that's just the thing. Like this is, they've already done so many Mets things and we're not even like, we're not even two full weeks into the season. I don't think, I think now we actually are, this is the second full week, but like we're only two weeks into the season. We've already had so much Mets nonsense. Um, I, I just, I, I fucking can't with them. I cannot imagine being a fan of the Mets. It would drive me to the depths of insanity. Kudos to any Mets fan who still sticks with this team through all of this stupidity, you know, night after night, year after year. But, Nothing about the Cespedes of situation surprised me. Nothing about how that was handled surprised me. That's the only way the team like the Mets is ever going to handle that situation because they're simply not capable of doing anything normally or functionally. It's always a stupid circus with them. Which, for if you're not a Mets fan, is extremely funny. You know, mm-hmm. it's all very enjoyable to watch. But if you're a Mets fan, you're probably just. I mean, I again, how do you deal with this every year? Is it just the fact that you do deal with it every year and it just becomes? I think it's just a badge of honor. And I, I don't think know. There's a lot of crossover with Knicks and Mets fans, anyway. So they're just like the Jets. Like there are fans That's out fair. there that are Jets, Knicks, and Mets fans. I just that's a, that's really hard to stomach. <laughs> I just I don't know I, I don't know how you can exist. I don't know how your year works. I don't know how you can handle it. I really don't. It's not ideal. It it just sounds like so much adjective for for what exactly? I mean, how do you end up with the Will Ponds and Woody Johnson and James Dolan as your three owners for your sports fandom? Like just the triumvirate of Woody just, Johnson what the is fuck? the best of those three. He really Imagine is. Imagine any group of owners in which Woody <laughs> Johnson is the best one, and not just the best one, but far and away the best one. If you were to quiz New York sports fans. Which of these three is the best sports owners? All of them would say Woody Johnson, despite the fact that Woody Johnson is a moron. Which, and I know this isn't this is not obviously you know the NFL segment of the podcast, and I don't really have any any NFL takes. But the sense I've always gotten from the the brief, thankfully limited exposures I've had to Jets football is that Woody Johnson is a dunce of the highest order. So that's how we can wrap up. 
I like it. Right. I like it. Woody Johnson. Woody Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> you never know where this podcast is going to go. John Taylor, thank you as always for the time, sir. Um, we will be back next week, hopefully with more baseball because it uh, maybe will still be here. Question mark. I don't yeah, know. who knows? Honestly, it's, it's a huge. That's the thing. Like this is. How many a, days ago was it that Manfred was like, weekly... "If this isn't fixed, get fixed." That we're just like baseball's probably done. Like yeah, that, that was. was last, it feels that was last Friday. <laughs> this is just such, and I think like I think I imagine that given that the Marlins are back in action and the Cardinals seem to be okay, that I think baseball's probably now stabilized a little bit. But the problem is going to be if when the next outbreak happens. I don't know. But yeah, it's it's very topsy-turvy. It's all very up in the air. So I guess we'll just keep doing this as long as those balls continue to be in the air. <sighs> all right. Hope for the best. Fingers crossed. John Taylor, stay safe. And we will talk next week. Sounds good. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.